Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today we're going to look at scriptures from proper 14. We are in the season of Pentecost. These are the Sundays after Pentecost. And we are looking at scriptures from 2 Samuel, Acts, and Mark. And we've been in these scriptures for quite a long time. We're in the history book called 2 Samuel, which then goes into 1 and 2 Kings. And you also have 1 and 2 Chronicles. And Ezra and Nehemiah, which complete our history books that are in the Old Testament. We have the book of Acts, as Paul is journeying and sharing the gospel uh, in the area north of Israel. You look at your geography, it's present-day Turkey, Greece. And we have the book of Mark, where Jesus is continuing to do ministry until it's time for him to be crucified. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we have the book of Acts. And then, of course, we have our Old Testament readings. Now, we spent a lot of time last uh, time on the book of 2 Samuel because a lot was going on uh, with David. And chapter 7 and chapter 11 and chapter 12 are very important scriptures in understanding Israel and looking into the future with the Messiah, the uh, the construction of the temple that David's son with Bathsheba, uh, the one that came after the child that died because of David's sin against the Lord and having a relationship with Bathsheba and killing her husband Uriah the Hittite, which we saw in 2 Samuel chapter 11 from last week. So, God forgives David for his sin Whereas in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he was very, very excited about David. David and God, and uh, David was very excited about the Lord. He had beautiful, uh, beautiful words to say about God and praising and worshiping him in the second half of chapter 7. And in the first half, God established this eternal covenant with him that we see uh, played out with the Messiah, the future Messiah, Jesus Christ, in the New Testament. But then in this offense against the Lord, and the reason I'm saying all of this is I'm going to be spending less time on the Second Samuel readings this week, 13, 14, 15, and 16, because they're quite long and it would take way too long to go through them. I'm just setting it up for you. Disaster is going to come to the house of David. And as you read these chapters, you're going to be pretty amazed at how sinful these guys are and how wicked these people are. And God just allows this to happen as a result of David's sin against the Lord. So our personal sin against God can cause significant ramifications in our lives that affect other people in our lives. So let us please take our sin very seriously. This is why we start with the Old Testament. The history books are great because they say, this is real life, folks. They're not making these stories up. These are not parables. These are real people and real events. And we're telling you just the way it was, just the way it happened. We're not, we're not making it any better than it actually, it actually was. We're not sugarcoating it. Then you have the presence of God interacting, and we see how God responds. So, for example, in chapter 13, where we start this week, we have Amnon and Tamar, and you have a rape. Yeah, there's a rape there in chapter 13. Again, I'm not going to read all the scriptures to you, but Amnon uh, 
the son of David fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. So Amnon basically raped his sister, which was an extraordinary sin. He rapes her in verse 14. And she says to him in verse 12, do not do this wicked thing, because he deceived her in the earlier verses. But he did it anyway. And, of course, a woman that's raped in that culture at that time, that was a, just a horrible thing. As we go through those verses, in the second half, Absalom, remember verse 1, son of David, related to Amnon, related to Tamar, kills Amnon. So we have rape and a murder in chapter 13. Okay? Verse 30, while they were on their way, the report came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's son. Not one of them is left. The king stood up, tore his clothes, laid down on the ground, and all of his ser servants stood by with their clothes torn. This was a horrible thing that had happened. As he finished speaking, the king's sons came in. Wailing loudly, the king and all of his servants wept very, very bitterly. Absalom fled. Verse 37, King David mourned for his son every day. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there three years. The spirit of the king longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. So David lost another son. He lost the child that was conceived by Bathsheba on the initial. That son died. Solomon later is going to be made king. And by the way, at the end of Solomon's life, he goes south. He just was very wicked before the Lord. He started out beautifully, but in the end of his life, he did not do well. We see in chapter 14, Absalom. Now we're, we're, we're following Absalom and we're following what happened to David's line after David did what he did in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Okay. Again, I'm not going to read it through with you. Just a couple of words. Okay. So Absalom returns to Jerusalem. And you need to read very slowly and very carefully all that happens in this particular event. And so you're going to have this tete-a-tete -tete with Absalom and the King David. Verse 28. Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. Then Absalom sent for Joab to order him to be sent to the king, but Joab refused to come to him. So he sent a second time, but he refused to come. Then he said to his servants, Look, Joab's field is next to mine, and, he's barely, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab did go to his house, Absalom's house. Why have your servants set my field on fire? I mean, they're really playing hardball here. Verse 32. Look, I sent word to you and said, come here so I can send you to the king. Now then, I want to see the king's face. And if I am guilty of anything, let him put me to death. So Joab went to the king and told him. The king summoned Absalom. He came in, bowed down his face with the ground, to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. And then we go into chapter 15, the conspiracy of Absalom. 
David is now fleeing. So there's something going on between Absalom and David. Remember, Amnon dies. Tamar, the sister, is raped by Amnon. Absalom makes up for that by killing his brother, as horrendous as this is. Okay? A messenger came and told David in verse 13 of chapter 15, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. They were genuinely afraid of Absalom. The king's officials answered him in verse 15, Your servants are ready to do, ready to do whatever the, our lord the king chooses. So the king sent out. Okay? The whole countryside wept aloud in verse 23. As all the people passed by, the king said to Zadok in verse 25, Take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it. And his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, that I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. And so David is fighting for his life. He's fighting for his kingship with his son. And then we have the last scripture, 2 Samuel 16, 1 to 23 on Saturday. See that in your post. Okay. And we have this extraordinary exchange between all of these uh, people and how God works with and is against and is for and aligns himself and where God and as God fits with this. Um, and so enjoy your reading this week. I'm sorry I'm not as um, verbose about this as I usually am, but these are pretty complicated historical texts. But as you are reading it through the week, you're going to learn a tremendous amount, as I will, uh, rereading them again and praying about what God is saying to us. In Acts chapter 20, remember we were, uh, Paul was dealing uh, in Ephesus in chapter 19. And in chapter 20, you remember we have his farewell to the Ephesian elders. This is a wonderful series of verses with the Ephesian elders. He's going to leave them and probably he'll never see them again. And Paul was, again, this is one of those instances of where Paul is um, sharing some great theology and some great teaching. Uh, sometimes he does miracles. Sometimes he shares a great teaching. Uh, and all of this is very, very, very important. Okay. He says, I have declared to you, both Jews and Greeks, in verse 21 of chapter 20, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. That's the gospel message, folks. Look at chapter 20, verse 21 in the book of Acts. There it is. I've declared to you both Jews and Greeks. So that's everybody. They must turn to God. How? In repentance and have faith in Jesus. There's, that's, you say, well, what's the gospel message? What, what is it that I need to tell people? They need to turn from their idols or from their false worship or they're living without God. They need, we need, I need, you need to turn to God. And the way you turn to God is in repentance and faith in Christ. Who, as we said in 2 Samuel, is the Messiah and is the one that is our Savior. All right. Now, I know that none of, you, uh, none of you, this is all good. I'm just picking a couple of verses. None of you among them have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Verse 25. 
Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I have, I am very upstanding. I've done what God called me to do, and I feel very, very good about that. I have, um, I'm innocent of the blood of all people. I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I've not held anything back. I've not been hyperbolic. Uh, and what I've said, I'm not trying to persuade you to do something that's outside the will of God. All that I've said to you is the gospel of God. Guard yourselves and all the flock, verse 28, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. The protection of Paul, the apostle, the protection of him and guarding people against people that are dangerous and are her heretical and want people to do bad things and uh, uh, they are not for the shepherd. Paul had a tremendously powerful influence at keeping at bay and being that watchdog, if you will, to protect the flock, to protect the sheep. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away the disciples. Be on your guard. Now, I'm going to leave now. God's going to take care of you, but it might be dangerous. I'm standing here at the gate, and I'm preventing anything bad from happening to you. I'm protecting you, okay? And so I'm committing to you to God, verse 32, and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Beautiful reading. Chapter 20 of the book of Acts is fabulous. Chapter 21, he's going to go off to Jerusalem. Now, people were not excited about him going to Jerusalem. We, we are in 21 and 22 on your post. So he goes to Jerusalem. This is, a, again, lots of sentences. Basically, the idea is he's going to go to Jerusalem, and people are upset because they don't think he should go to Jerusalem because they're afraid that he's going to die if he goes there because people want to kill him. But he goes anyway, and he arrives there. He is arrested Chapter 27 following, some Jews from the province of Asia, Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and they seized him. They were trying to kill him in verse 31 of chapter 21. News reached the commander of the Roman troops. The whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some soldiers and officers and they ran to the crowd. And the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers. They stopped beating Paul. If the if the soldiers, the Roman soldiers had not showed up, Paul would have died. This has been the end. Chapter 21, verse uh, 32. He'd have died. So the Romans stood up for Paul. Remember, the Romans were the ones that put Jesus to death. But it was the Jewish people that wanted Jesus to die. So the Romans, very, very helpful. Very, very, very helpful. Paul speaks to the crowd. May I say something? He said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, verse 39, a citizen of no ordinary city. May I speak to the people? And he got permission and he spoke to them. And you see that we go all the way to verse 29. Verse 29. Paul is a Roman citizen. What are they going to do with him? This section in the book of Acts uh, is very, very interesting how Paul in 21 goes back to Jerusalem. And what you're going to see in these next several chapters is the trials and the tribulations of Paul in presenting the gospel message. Uh, 
and the Jews trying to kill him and the idea, or the truth I should say, that God protects him and keeps him from dying. And Paul is a Roman citizen and they were flogging him. And in verse 25, he says, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who isn't been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man's a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul, verse uh, 27. Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes. The commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul said. Those who were about to question withdrew immediately. It was illegal to do that. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. So the Romans saved him. Paul spoke to the Jewish people. Didn't do a whole lot of good. He's a Roman citizen. They put him in chains. They found out that he is a citizen. And we'll pick this up next week. So stay tuned for 23. Enjoy. Quite, quite riveting what happens to Paul. Mark chapter 9. Now we are approaching the end as Jesus will slowly but surely get himself ready to die. 9, 42 to 50 on Tuesday. 9, 42 to 50. If anyone causes any of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. He's speaking about hell. He said, look, whatever you've got that's keeping you from going to heaven, you better get rid of it or do something about it because it's better to lose that appendage than to go to hell with full appendages. So Jesus is speaking very truly about the reality of hell. And he's speaking very truly about the reality of sin. That we need to do something to deal with our sin. He says about hell, the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. Okay? All right. Chapter 10. Jesus speaks about divorce and about marriage. I could say a lot about that, but you'll enjoy the reading. Jesus supports the Genesis 2 words from God Almighty about marriage. He made them male and female. A man will leave his father and his mother, united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Therefore, whom God has joined together, let man not separate. And then he speaks about divorce in Mark. The little children in Jesus, he says, I tell you the truth in verse 15 of chapter 10, anyone who will not receive, receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Receive the kingdom like a child. The rich young man. Well, the rich young man says, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus says, um, well, you know the commandments. Do not do this. Do not do that. And the guy says, I've done these since I was a boy. Jesus is impressed. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, verse 21. Give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He was very rich. He kneels before Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? Great question. He says, I want you to sell everything you have. Now, when you do that and you give it to the poor, you're going to have treasure in heaven, which will be far more valuable than what you currently have. Then what I want you to do is come and follow me. The man's face fell, verse 22. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Jesus looked around and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. They kind of thought, hey, being rich was a good thing. God had favor with you. There were great rewards. You must be blessed. You're rich. You must have done something right. Now he's telling us that rich people are going to have a problem or might have a problem getting into heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed. Who then can be saved? Great question. You ready for the answer? This is from Jesus. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus predicts his death again in the next pericope, verses 32 to 34. He does it three times. He tells them, this is what's going to happen. When it happens, you'll know, but you'll have faith in me because on the third day, I am going to rise from the dead. He says that in 34. They're going to mock him. They're going to spit on him. They're going to flog him. They're going to kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Three days later, he will rise. The request of James and John was to sit on his right hand and his left hand. That was a big request, right? His mother's asking that question. Uh, Are you ready to deal with what I got to deal with to get that request? He said, yes, we are. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. You want to be the greatest? You got to be the servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. The Son of Man, one of the most famous verses in Mark, I see it quoted all the time, 1045. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is here to give himself as a ransom for us, which means you're in jail, I'm in jail, I can't get out. He comes, takes our place, ransoms himself, we get out. He offers himself to pay the penalty for our sin. We deserve to be in jail, and we deserve to go to hell. But Jesus pays the price for us. So remember what I said earlier about in Ephesians 21.20. When you turn to God, and you turn to God in repentance, and you put your faith in Christ, you are a Christian. Follow the Lord well. Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight at the end of chapter 10, one of the last miracles in Mark. He can't see. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, verse 47. Call him. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet. He came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, I want to see. Go. Your faith has healed you. Verse 52. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Who else can do that, people? A person born blind? A person blind? A blind man, Bartimaeus, sitting by the roadside begging. I'm guessing he was born blind. Maybe he became blind. Regardless, the man is blind, cannot see, and Jesus heals him. In chapter 11, finally we get to Jerusalem. And this is the last stage of his life. He goes into Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday. We celebrate Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. And he rides on a donkey and they're praising him and they're glorifying God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple. Remember how we talked about the temple in 2 Samuel? 
It's going to be done in 1 Kings when Solomon becomes leader in 1 Kings. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. And we'll pick it up there next time. Lots of activity today. Lots of things happening. Crazy things happening to poor David, who sinned against the Lord and his family paid a tremendous price. Paul is in danger also. He goes to Jerusalem. They say, don't come to Jerusalem. He goes there. They almost killed him. And then Jesus, he's preparing to die also. He's preparing to die. As he enters Jerusalem, he didn't have to go to Jerusalem, but it was God's will that he go there and be and prepared to die because that was the Father's will. These are great scriptures. This is a great opportunity to continue to grow in Christ and continue to learn pray, think about the scriptures, enjoy them. Join me next week as I look at proper 15. God bless you abundantly and have a wonderful time with the Lord. See you next week.